What's up, dude? Oh, wait. Hey, hey, what's up? Uh, can you hear me? Hey, dude. Yeah, I said, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you good, sir. What right. is... Good to hear you, man. What time is it there now? Uh, right now, it's 1.35 p.m. Mountain Standard. Oh, okay. That's pretty early. It's like 9.30 in the evening here. Yeah. You said you were going to grab a whiskey. I was like, God damn, I wish it was later. I had things to do ah. later today. Was <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I get you. Uh, you know, the only downside uh, of being ahead by a couple of hours on the Americans uh, is that it's very hard to get drunk simultaneously. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, it just depends. If you, this would have been yesterday, this would have been perfectly acceptable. <laughs> Uh, I think I drank like a whole bottle of uh, wine yesterday. Well, I didn't drink the whole bottle. Some of it went into the spaghetti I was cooking, but I did drink a lot of it. Um, and then the night before, I drank half a bottle of whiskey. So yeah, it just depends. Just depends. I'll go like weeks without drinking, and then like all of a sudden, I'm an alcoholic again. What the fuck? I just see that you added me to bad, awful garbage. What is that, good sir? Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Could you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you still fine. Um, yeah, there's a reason I added you to uh, bad, awful, and garbage. Um, and that's because you declared yourself to be on Team Trent. So... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <you> know. <sighs> Trent had me on his podcast first. What can I say, man? What can I say? <laughs> Well, that's all nice and good, but I mean, this is going to be better. So, you know, there's no real, there's no real good reason to be on Team Trent anymore. I will reconsider once we're done here. I will. Uh, I promise <laughs> you, you'll get one reconsideration. All right. Well, if you reconsider, I will remove you from the uh, list of bad, awful, and garbage, and make a new list of fantastic, handsome, and great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if I fall into that category. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I could always call it fantastic, chunky, and great. Oh, whoa! Oh, <laughs> that went straight to the feels. Oh man! <laughs> I see. I see how this is gonna go. Okay. 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 I'll save. I'll save, I'll save my. My insults for a little bit later. What are we talking about today? <laughs> I have been uh, paying attention to your timeline, man. I know what your weak points are. Oh, I see. I see. So you you've been stalking me, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, the I chunky is part of my brand. Let me just tell you this: the chunky is just a part of my brand. I'm not really. <laughs> well, I'm a little chunky, but it's not like 
a big deal. People are like recommending keto and stuff to me. And I'm like, you know, I don't have diabetes just yet. Lean off me a little bit. But now these are good people. At least they just want to help. But not that <laughs> yet. I mean, keto is, is not going to work. Uh, you just got to go straight African, like just full starvation. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. You're a freaking toothpick, dude. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I remember I remember when you first posted a picture of yourself, we were all like, what the fuck? <laughs> this guy is a <laughs> toothpick. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, uh, I'm just built like a stick. There's uh, I, I mean, it's also like I just can't get big or get fat, you know? Eat ridiculous amounts of ridiculously greasy, fat, carbohydrate-rich food. Um, and I mean, I do have a little bit of a belly now, but uh, I'm getting back into working out seriously. So I will be gone shortly. But like, I just don't get seriously fat. Mm-hmm. That's what you say now, man. And then next thing you know, you're 30 and you've got a beer belly and no one loves you. Yeah, yeah. The chance, I mean, the chance exists, but looking at my dad, uh, it's a part of me, and not very likely because he's built the same way, um, and he's been smoking and drinking his entire life, uh, along with some other, uh, well, just generally particularly bad eating habits, little exercise. But he's still skinny as hell, so I'll, uh, I'll take my chance. Ah, you people with good genetics, I'm so jealous. Ah, yeah, we have it so good. <laughs> um, let's see. So, uh, I, I know that we're... Oh, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 I was going to say, I, I, I know that we were kind of discussing it in the chat, like what we were going to talk about today, yeah. and that everything was kind of up in the air. So, I kind of just wanted to see where what direction you wanted to take this, and... Oh, We'll see if it's the same thing I was thinking earlier. All right. Um, well, there's a couple of things I want to, to touch on. Um, first is some brewing, uh, because if I'm not mistaken, you are a brewer. You are very mistaken. <laughs> oh, well, then I'm entirely mistaken indeed. I thought... Uh, well, no, I like, I like good beers, and I've had friends that have made the brew beer I was going to at one point i just actually never did it i have a small ass apartment and so every amount of space is pretty much taken up already right. and then when i was going to do it like i kind of just ran out of money and didn't have stuff to buy the actual ingredients and so wait but i have uh your first episode with or your episode with friend that was his first episode with a guest right yeah 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 no like what i was just talking to trent about like um the local breweries they released one of my oh, favorite beers hey. because uh there's a brewery here in boise called barbarian brewing and they make sour beers and right the such and so i bought a beer there a year ago that's called elixir of the gods and it's a seasonal one and they just barely released it again oh my god it's so fucking delicious it's a (laughs) barrel aged sour belgian ale or i think that may be contradictory but it's it's a barrel aged a belgian a belgian sour i think that's what they call them but uh and you know what actually let me go grab the bottle because i still i saved the bottle it looks really cool too 
Um, but uh, that's what I was talking to Trent about. And since he's he's mostly uh, he he like me, he's a chemist, and so that's kind of like where we were interrelating on things. Except right. for he's he's going into like brewing as his specialty, and when I was in chemistry. I was more along the lines of analytical and physical chemistry. So like that was, uh, I, I guess that's kind of what, what we were talking about, but I actually haven't brewed my own beer. It's definitely something I want to try out. Yeah. So this is a uh, Belgian style quad aged in port barrels. So it's called elixir of the gods by barbarian brewing. And I don't know if they distribute or not, but um, if they do, I would highly recommend I can always uh, look out for it. Yeah, I think they may not distribute. I'm not sure, though. All I know is that I have to get go to the actual brewery here in town to buy it because yeah. they don't distribute to the local beer shops. Yeah, I imagine it's uh, pretty hard um, to get into the market, especially here in the Netherlands. Well, no. Like, if you want uh, your own place, say, in the, in the local grocery store, um, you're going to have to be a quite a large brewery or uh, well, still quite large, but still also quite local. Yeah. Here they used to be, they used to distribute here, but um, it's more of like their business model for the reason why they don't, um, that they switched to the whole, like they're going to sell it directly to customers. They don't want to go through a middleman kind of thing for their right. business model. And so I don't, I don't know if that also means that they don't distribute outside of town, but I know that in town you have to go there to buy it. Um, but Idaho in general is really, really kind of a crappy place for alcohol and beer in general. I don't know if you know this, but in the United States, there's a few places that are what are called control states. And so um, here in Idaho, we're one of them. And basically the state has a complete monopoly on alcohol and anything involving that. Oh, that's so awful. if you, yeah, if you want to have a liquor license and it depends in the city you're in. So if I were to want to get a city liquor license with the state of Idaho in Boise, I think that costs $20,000 to apply Jeez. and you're on the application list. You're on the application list till you know for years. When I worked at the Atlas Bar, the bar owner was telling me that he only opened the Atlas Bar four years ago because when he was my age, 23, he applied to be a bar to a liquor license, and he didn't finally get approved until he was like 34. And so he just opened the bar like four years ago, and like they just got it going and stuff. But it took him like almost 10 years to get his liquor license. That's kind of like the state of things here. Like if you want to sell your liquor license, they go for like 250000 here in Boise. But, but it is the biggest city in the state though. Like for the smaller towns, it's a little bit, it's a lot less, but it's still like super absurd the way they do it. And uh, they, have, they have a lot of ridic ridiculous restrictions here. And so because of that, a lot of the good stuff doesn't even get here. So I know that... Uh, like a lot of the rare whiskeys and everything, they, they, they just don't come to town. The state owns, like, I think there's only 42 liquor stores in the whole state and the that state owns all but two of them. I think there's uh, yeah almost 42 liquor stores in my city alone. Yeah. I think Boise might only have like 
18. Wait, there's 42 and it's a liquor stores, and 18 of them are in Boise. Yeah. Well, well, okay, so the way Idaho is set up is there's, like, Boise and, like, the Valley area. Right. And then uh, that's where most everybody in the state lives is in this area. Ah, okay. And then there are, like, maybe four or five other towns that are even big enough to have stoplights. Fuck. And, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then those are, those are the other towns that, you know, you find the rest of the people in. But otherwise, it's really rural. Like here in Idaho, it's quite common to come across like a little town with only 200 people in it. Right. That makes sense. Uh, that reminds so, me of... Uh, oh, what? That reminds me of um, my uh, <coughs> my stay in Utah um, when I was there for a semester. Um, oh, Utah is a lot like Idaho in that regard. Yeah. Is Idaho heavily Mormon as well? Yeah, I would venture to say Idaho is more Mormon than Utah is, actually. Jeez, fucking Christ. Holy shit. Yeah, like, my hometown is, like, two hours north of Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. And um, it, it ha- it's it's got, like, I think 80% Mormons. Hell, man. That sucks. Yeah, dude. Which, by the way, it makes the indoctrination fucking real. Because, like... Oh, yeah. it's, it's weird. You'll have so many people that are very like agorist in their lifestyle. And then they'll go ahead and turn right around and say in praise the state, you know, and it's like, yeah. Oh goodness. I got to get out of here. <laughs> the hills oh, have yeah. eyes. Oh no. Yeah. I remember, um, when I was there, I stayed with this, uh, family for like, um, a, a week or two. Um, because the way things were, my, uh, most of my program was way off campus. So, uh, it wasn't realistic, logical for me to have extra housing on campus. Uh, so I stayed with them for a while. Um, and they were like, well, you know, we need to have guns to protect ourselves from the tyrannical government. Um, but at the same time, um, we do need to keep saying a Pledge of Allegiance in class every day. <laughs> yeah, that's how it be, dude. No, seriously, that is... Oh, my God, that is so that's bad. Such but yeah, it... Yeah. That that's the that's the state of things here. Yep. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but going back to the, the subject at hand here, yeah. So I like when it comes to alcohol, the state really the state involvement really 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 like complicates it here. Um, you know that might be a reason why Barbarian may or may not distribute out of town. I know I was talking to uh, Quincy oh, and. Yeah. Twitter and he was telling me that because I, I posted about this the day that I recorded with Trent and he was like oh where can I get that and I was like you know what I don't fucking know I just know <laughs> to get it in downtown Boise um, but yeah overall like I'd like to get into brewing but I have so much shit going on that yeah eh, that's probably maybe a project at the earliest yeah no I understand completely I have a somewhat similar situation I mean I'm still a student so I live in a a singular room uh, with some housemates, um, which is so nice and good. But there's no room here for brewing between a bed, dude, that's exactly bureau. I do too, and uh, a place to keep my clothes. My room is already pretty much full, uh, so there's that. Uh, fuck man, uh, let's get into the actual meat of this fucking podcast. Um, okay, so there's a bunch of conspiracy that I think we're gonna want to get into. Um, and this actually goes great with my previous episode with Paz. Um, because with Paz, I really went uh, in on the more 
human societal kind of conspiracy, but you want to get in more to the uh, magical or spiritual kind, right? Yeah. I actually was talking to that guy on Twitter yesterday. Um, and uh, we were discussing like my past and stuff and how like there's a whole bunch of just unanswered questions. Oh. And so like I'm do okay so first question are you a person of faith air quotes uh no no i am a, a devout atheist <laughs> okay so you're a devout atheist now does that mean you're sp- spiritual because i know that some atheists like they you know they don't believe in god but they still believe that you know other shit exists um, like no. is that you or do you just completely reject everything i uh reject everything um uh, how do i say it's i guess supernatural okay so if i were to bring up the idea of like possession to you what does that make you think do you think that like in your head does that come up as like oh impossible or is that like i actually have no idea i've never even considered it or is that uh, um kind of you're open to thinking about it well possession i say to you that sounds intriguing that sounds like something I want to hear about. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't believe in any God or anything supernatural. Uh, but, I mean, um, uh, possession kind of tickles me or, or scratches an itch in the same way that uh, conspiracies do. So, please go ahead. I mean, I, I was, I've been talking to a few people and it seems actually that, well... To me, anyway, it seems like yeah. all of that goes hand in hand. It all just builds upon itself, and you know, you can put paint put too many pieces together until the fact that you know none of it makes sense, which kind of never does anyway. But um, no, so you know, just to give you like a like a kind of background of where I'm coming from, I personally am I am the type of person that I'm like eh, somewhat agnostic. I would say it's like I believe that. There's, you know, something out there. There may be like a development team that fucking designed our simulation, or <laughs> there may be, yeah. there may be, you know, like fucking, you know, God straight out of the Bible, or there may be, you know, Muhammad or whatever, whatever. I don't exactly. even know. Yeah, the higher power. Um, I, I, I choose to not follow religion because I find that like humans are fallible, and I don't. I don't trust that, oh, well, like everything, a religion based solely on human creation is going to be the answer. I think I've, I'm more along the lines of I need proof. Um, That's probably like the scientist in me. It's like, you know, I like to be objective about everything. I want to see like, like, like the actual physical evidence or at least the mathematical evidence that something, you know, happens or exists Mm -hmm. the way it does. And so I guess the nature of it is I can't disprove that God exists, but I can't prove he exists either. And that's kind of the conclusion that I've drawn. Yeah. But I grew up Catholic and um, my family is still actually pretty quite devout themselves, which I I definitely don't agree with it anymore. But um, the topic that I was discussing yesterday with pause is, sorry, I'm trying to look for something on the floor at that land. Anyway, (laughs) I'll find it later. Um, The, and so basically, uh, oh fuck, where was I at? Lost my train of thought. Um, what you were talking about with Paz yesterday. Um, 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, well, so you ever just get this feeling that, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if you've had like some big event in your life that seemed unresolved, but like for me, I feel like I've gotten to the point in my life where I've gotten through all the filler episodes and I'm getting back to the main storyline. You know, kind of like in shows, TV shows, how like they just have random filler episodes and then you come back to the main storyline. Yeah. Well, when I yeah when i was a kid in 2008 2007 my mom was just going nuts and you know like i women go crazy and uh, you know how they are (laughs) yeah but um but uh you know this this case in and of itself is kind of intriguing to me still and i i get in these modes or zones or moods if you will, about like trying to piece together the puzzle pieces. Right. Um, so when I was a kid, like um, my dad still claims that, you know, it happened this way that my mom was possessed. That is, uh, I still don't know. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I still don't know the answer to, you know, whether or not that's true or not. And I think he himself doesn't know either. I don't even no. know if my mom knows herself, but, um, but essentially, uh, you know, she starts going crazy and it gets to the point where it's starting to become, you know, like it, it gets to the point where it's okay. Is this real insanity or is this something else? Because it started taking a lot of the spiritual side of things. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. And so in my head, I constantly just piece together everything that happened and I kind of like trace through and I'm like, what seems likely? What doesn't seem likely? Do, do those things like connect? Like, is it just the fact that you know she went crazy and now she takes meds and now she's better? Um, the fact you, that um, the cat. Uh, huh? Can you uh, explain to me a little bit? Give me a bit of an image. Uh, what kind of crazy exactly? Like, what did she do? What What was exactly happening? So it, it's weird. It's like you pretend you're talking to someone and you've known them for years yeah and you know how they sound when they get mad and you know how they act when they're upset or disappointed or you know you know them well enough to know their yeah mannerisms well take for example you know this you know your mother mm-hmm. and you're at a checkout stand and the cashier says the total of however much it costs yeah and you just, in a different, complete voice than her normal voice, shout at the cashier and say, hey, why did you fucking take my baby oh, when okay. she had her baby? And you're like, okay, oh, God, this is fucking crazy. So it's yeah, not normal. Like, yeah. it's, it's not like your normal, like, oh, no, no, it's not well, like a regular whole moment. It's just like, it's, it's proper crazy. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, for example, like the main story I always go back to is when I was in the sixth grade, she went to my elementary school, smashed my principal's glasses, like took them off of her face, smashed her glasses, put them on her face with broken glass, spun around in the library skylight, chanting shit. Now, to to me... You know, being a kid, one, I don't know if this is like legit craziness or if it's also got some sort of demon aspect possession to it. Because here's the thing, like, like it was a complete different, utter change of personality. 
Yeah, that makes like, sense. Not even the same voice. And so, you know, there were different avenues that my parents, you know, investigated, investigated, right. and eventually led to the point where even the Catholic Church got involved. Yeah. And they opted to perform an exorcism. I wasn't there for it. Did it happen? I assume so. I right. Did I, you know, get to witness it? I didn't, so I can't say for sure, you know. No, but, but we can. Uh, uh, I think we can assume that the Catholic Church uh, actually did perform an exorcism of some sort. I mean, they they do that all the time. I mean, if exorcisms are an actual thing that works, is a different question entirely. But I think we can say with some certainty that they uh, executed their uh, ritual well, as of an exorcism. And that's a, that's another thing you need to know is like the Catholic Church wanted nothing to do with this. The Catholic Church, they don't just it, it's a big deal to perform this procedure because they don't just, oh, well, we'll send the local priest to perform an exorcism. Yeah. Um, there's only like four of them qualified in the United States to perform it. OK, um, there's like one per each like major area of the U.S. Right. I think there was one in Seattle that had to come down here to do it. But um, basically, you know, it just goes to show, you know, an organization that absolutely tries its best not to perform this procedure. It's not done very often. A real no. one is not, yeah, is not often that they do it. And so to me, that's a big like, okay, well, if even the Catholic church believed it enough to perform a ceremony, that's when it's like, did it really happen? And then you got to go, before you can even start going down the rabbit hole, you have to also go into the whole mechanics of what you believe exactly. Right. So it's like, okay, well, say she was possessed by what? Like, do I believe in angels and demons? Do I believe in heaven and hell? Do I believe in God? Is yeah. this just one faction out of many, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've talked to many different experts about it. Well, quotes air experts they're more of like right. uh like a very active in the community kind of thing and yeah they're not like officially experts but you know, experts in the fact that they put out good content and good you know yeah information exactly. yeah but um and so and so my whole thing is it's like i've seen enough to where i think i cannot disprove that it exists but i cannot prove that it does either no no i just I, think enough weird things that i'm definitely open to the possibility of it you know it's part of the reason why yeah, i can't completely give up and become an atheist it's because yeah there are too sense. many things that remain explained yeah so um i assume this uh exorcism worked like the the shenanigans were over after this actually no so okay. typically when you think of an exorcism when you think of a possession for example yeah. Um, they say that whatever is occupying, we'll say it's a demon. Say a demon possesses yeah. you. Um, it can lie dormant there for years. It can choose to show itself and take over. It can choose to do all sorts of things. Okay. Um, before the exorcism, there was a lot of craziness, a lot of episodes. Even taking medications did not help. The thing right. that changed was after the exorcism, the medications started helping. Uh -huh. And now she depends on and so they say that if you're put on medication when you don't need it, it can actually like open channels to where they can 
take you, take over you more easily or um, they try to find like a flaw, something that you're deeply insecure about that they can exploit. Because um, remember, right. like I said earlier, humans are fallible. Yeah, and absolutely. so and so um, what I find interesting is that if it did work, what I think happened was, you know, after if it being there in a few years, just, you know, kind of physically warped her body um, after the after the exorcism, she was able to regain normalcy by taking these pills, uh, which are vilified, by the way, it's the world's highest grossing drug in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, makes completely insane people normal again. It's quite, quite fascinating, actually. Oh. But, uh, but um, uh, what drug are we talking about here? It's called Abilify, um, Aripiprazole. Okay. I don't know. How, I don't know how you would say it in any other language. Like I, I could barely think <laughs> about it in English. <laughs> but if you search Abilify online, you could probably figure it out, find it that way. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll check that out uh, somewhere after this podcast or something. Um, in the U in the U.S., they they marketed it as a um, Schedule One drug or whatever like uh, basically after after a few years they realized like there was just too many side effects to be considered um effective or whatever so the u.s classified it as illegal and then they just reclassified it as not illegal again anymore i don't know there's a whole big there's a whole big deal you know the state did what it does and fucked it up but uh but essentially um yeah this drug turns people from crazy to sane you know they stop taking it they go back that's exactly what happens to her but this didn't used to happen until after the exorcism because because before she tried it and it would just make her worse okay so so to me it's kind of like okay well um yeah what angle do i want to take her you know um and and now now that I'm older, you know, I'm 23. This happened when I was like fucking 10. I I don't even remember. Like from 2007 through 2011, this was like when the major episodes were happening. Right. Um, the last one hasn't been since 2015, and so okay. basically, it's like it's kind of like okay, well, you know, we've had our little break. I feel like you know something's it it, it it's still unresolved. You know. Right. And yeah, normally, like, normally I would just like let the shit go, you know. But um, it was weird. I was in Canada a few months ago, in yeah. last May, and I was sleeping, and I had this weird ass dream. I had this dream that I was in like an Italian kitchen. I had a beautiful wife, and I had a beautiful baby. And I go to pick up the baby, and its eyes turn bright snake yellow. Ooh, and I have the slits and then all of a sudden everything else melted away and it was just those eyes and then like when i woke up it was already morning anyway since then i've i've been kind of like wonder like if there's more to the story you know yeah yeah that makes sense um yeah i have not had any of those uh mystical experiences which is probably also largely why uh why i don't particularly believe in it although um i have been uh, to the uh, Parisian catacombs um, twice. Do you know, do you have any uh, image of where the catacombs are? Yeah, in Paris? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, there's a little, I've, I've seen pictures. 
skull, yeah. skulls just stacked upon each yeah. other. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's kind of the cute touristy part um, because uh, the real catacombs are a, like 200 plus kilometer network of tunnels under Paris. Um, and the part with all the skulls, that's like open for tourist tours. Uh, and it's like a two kilometer tour or something. Um, and well, I haven't participated in that one, but I have participated in um, some possibly not entirely legal exploring um, <laughs> of the of the rest of these tunnels. Um, I, I believe I believe the term is allegedly. <laughs> I allegedly. <laughs> yes. I allegedly. <laughs> yes, I allegedly participated <laughs> uh, twice in this uh, in in such an endeavor. <laughs> Um, and I saw some weird shit there as well, um, especially the second time. Um, and I mean, this is partly because there's just some fucking weird people hanging around down there. Um, because you can yeah. imagine yeah, that uh, there's like quite a lot of uh, entrances to these tunnels, um, but there's a dedicated police unit um, that patrols these tunnels every now and then, and they try to. Uh, search for entrances and exits, um, which they then uh, close. Well, um, so that means that you have to have a dedicated catafil uh, to point you to an entrance and an exit um, in the in the network. Um, but anyway, one of the things uh, you see there's a, a place called the Roundabout of the Dead, uh, and that's where uh, a lot of bones. Uh, are still well gathered or, or still lying around and not neatly orderly stacked uh, like in the fancy part of the catacombs, just kind of you know lying around there. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that's not even that deep in the catacombs. Um, if you really start exploring and you go really deep, then uh, you're just going to end up in some more tunnels um, and. Well, what we found in some of the deeper tunnels was a guy, or, well, we didn't see a guy, but had clearly been a guy, uh, who had made, uh, first of all, of bones that were still in good condition, uh, an upside-down cross, which was already somewhat disturbing. Um, yeah, that does seem disturbing. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> a little bit further up, um, in, the same, in the same tunnel, uh, we found an entire fucking chair made out of bones um, with a, a little note card hanging on it. Uh, and is this really in the part? This is the, this is the allegedly you went this place part or is this the actual part of the tour? No, no. This is the place where I allegedly went. Ah, I see. Yeah, no. If this was part of the tour, I wouldn't be particularly disturbed. I would, like, this is just some fucking tourist trap, whatever, you know, these French people. Um, but... Uh, because this was in the in the area that's not allowed to be visited, uh, it was significantly more disturbing. And um, also because it's very hard to still come by bones that are in good condition there. Um, because, uh, well, I mean, these catacombs are a pretty popular tourist destination, uh, even the part where I allegedly went in. Um, and it used to be very popular amongst uh, French medical students who would go in there and pick them some bones uh, and sell them uh, for like to their classmates for study purpose. Um, mm. But anyway, 
that kind of fucked with me a little bit as well. I was like, wait a minute. Dude, this people is, uh, are fucking trash. Yeah, fucking yeah. selling other phones. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's fucked up. But anyway, that whole chair thing, that, that did screw with me for a bit. Um, that had me like, Jesus Christ, like, what, what is well, going these are, on with the kind of people that make this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. They're, they're World Heritage sites for a reason. Like, they're important. Oh, yeah. Um, like, uh, but I like to think that they're important for other ways, too. Like, y- you're not going to just see a fucking chair out of bones no. in Boise downtown plaza, you know? But, um, I don't think so. <laughs> but, you know, like, it, it's kind of like when I went to Mexico City, like, the people are trash. Like, you'll have, like, this beautiful ancient temple that gives you, of you know, the vibes or whatever. And it's, mm-hmm. like, the ruins of the old city. And then, you know, right underneath it, you hear the subway going underneath your feet. And you're like, there's no way this shit didn't extend all the way down there. Like, they oh, had yeah. to have, like, this basement in order to put the subway in there oh yeah they didn't give a fuck so they didn't whatever but but uh yeah dude like i sorry i kind of like took that turn i I wasn't sure like if you were wanting to be or like what kind of topics you were wanting to discuss dude we just um we go with the flow man (laughs) go with the flow which by the way i'm excited for your flow episode um Yeah, I've I've been looking forward to it. I'm constantly talking to people about like how to further optimize my life, and oh, it yeah. seems like getting into the flow state is a real thing. You know, you gotta like have all your conditions right. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you getting, uh, like, Yeah, go ahead. How do you prepare your mind for it? Do you like have a mind palace? Because um, like that is a good question. I I don't personally have like a mind palace or anything. I go about it in a really simple way um and i mean let me state firstly that um like i'm not an expert at getting into flow like i mean i i would consider myself pretty much an expert on the literature of flow but actually don't, getting into don't flow, don't break my heart don't break my heart tomas no i won't uh. i won't um <laughs> so uh, especially when I go to see a martial arts training. Um, I mean, it's already easier for me to get into flow there, of course. Um, but what I do is I just listen to music that really hypes me up, you know? Music really makes me feel like I'm feeling ready, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, a bunch of things that you can do is just kind of uh, create conditions that facilitate flow as much as possible. So um, sleep well, eat well. Uh, breathe in and out deeply. Um, and then so you're talking like flow that's you're just doing small changes to kind of influence you in like kind of guide you into flow. What I'm talking about is do you have just like an on and off switch in your brain that can turn the flow on? No, no, I'm afraid not. Um, I would love to have one, uh, but I think uh at this point we're we're not quite there yet um because i mean again neurologically there's a whole lot happening uh in this flow experience like your entire prefrontal cortex just switches almost entirely off um there's a bunch of hormones that get get released 
so it's not a an, an experience that just like flip the switch. You know, you really have to uh, create all the right circumstances for it to happen. Um, because, like, so I may just be a weirdo, but the way I think of my mind is this way. So it's like my brain. I think of it as a computer, pretty much. Right. It's like I have an I have like an operating system in my in my head that helps me navigate things, and I can do things like partition you know certain shit away like i don't remember like you know that night when i was too drunk i don't ever want to think about it again like <laughs> oh, store that in storage never to be seen again partition it off from everything else uh reboot my computer you know reset my brain kind of thing yeah like, yeah yeah there's like a dashboard that tells me like the stats like oh my heart right now is beating at 86.5 beats per minute I have six more hours before I will need to sleep, you know, shit like that. But I feel like combined with the, the way of thinking it like that and also doing the, the steps you're talking about, I feel like that's how I personally get into the flow state. Mm-hmm. It's like I tell my brain, I'm like, all right, flow state on kind of thing. And then right. I listen to, I, I do, I plug in. It's like I plug into my earphones and boom, I get lost, you know. Okay. But I, you know, that's assuming I have eaten. That's assuming I have low stress. I mean, that's assuming I have low anxiety. That's assuming I've, I've slept well. Well, you know, shit like that, just, too. Um, uh, uh, You're the expert. That a bit so. Because that's actually a fascinating part of uh, flow state, the anxiety part. Um, because it's not, I think, necessarily a prerequisite, but it happens. Um, that people can have a lot of anxiety before they get into flow, um, which I think has to do, uh, well, I mean, it makes sense from a neurological perspective, and it makes sense from uh, an experience perspective, um, because look at it this way. Um, flow happens uh, generally, at least, right on the balance between challenge and skill. So if you are in a situation where you perceive very high challenge and very high skill, you're likely to experience flow state. Um, well, okay, now think of doing an activity that is extremely challenging to you. Now, in most people, that will trigger quite a bit of anxiety. Um, so what happens is that you're kind of scared before you go in, and then you go in, uh, and you succeed, or it's working, and that's when the uh, switch flips. You know? It's like, oh, shit, this is going, this is working. And then it just kind of rolls automatically. Um, and from a neurological perspective, I make, think that makes sense as well. Um, because one of the first hormones that got released in flow state is uh, norepinephrine. And norepinephrine is a very strong stress hormone. Um, it's yeah, thing. it's what they give you. Like to, It's like what they have in EpiPens and shit, right? Um, possibly. Uh, or is that just epinephrine? I'm not sure, actually. Um, but it serves the same function as adrenaline. Keep going. What? Uh, it serves the same function as adrenaline. So what it does um, is it puts your body basically in an optimal state of readiness. So uh, your breathing goes up, uh, your heartbeat goes faster, um, your uh, uh, veins widen, um, the more blood goes to your brain, uh, your digestive system uh, largely stops any growth processes going on also largely stop. Um, so basically what happens is that everything that is not immediately necessary for our survival uh, is switched off. 
it's like, okay, now we need to be ready to fucking run, fight, uh, you know, uh, just to do you th- get ready to, to move. Um, do you think there's, there's a difference between, sorry to interrupt you, but do you think there's a difference between um, flow in your head versus like flow that affects just your like mental state versus flow that affects your whole body? Because mm-hmm. from what you're describing right now, it's, it's something to like where if I was getting ready for a wrestling match, for instance, or if I was getting ready to um, PR in a, in a powerlifting meet, like I probably typically would have a heart rate of above 140 beats per minute. Right. Um, probably get to the point where I can't hear anything, even though my ears are out and open to everything. Yeah. Just hear my own self breathing and yeah. like act like that. But my brain is switched off. I can't think. But like if I were to be in what the flow state I consider being in the flow state of normally during the day, like I could be at work, plug in with my earphones and, you know, um, configure a whole bunch of devices, you know, get a whole bunch of shit done on the computer. So like what's what's the difference between the two or are they one in the same? And you were about to explain that and I just interrupted Um, you. (laughs) Well, I was not about to explain that. So that's good. Uh, that's a fascinating question. Um, as far as I know, they are largely the same in the brain, or well, they're entirely the same in the brain. Um, but um, flow state is not uh, purely one thing, um, in the sense that it's kind of uh, like you can be very deep in flow state, or you can be in flow state a little bit. Like it's not a, a black and white thing, you know? So um, mm-hmm. say, what you experience when you're getting ready for a powerlifting meet, that might be a thing where you're just balls deep in the flow. Like you're just completely shut off from the rest of the world. You know? um, and then what you experience in your work, like when you plug in your music and you're just being very productive, is the same, but to a lesser extent. Yeah, because like, I I mean, it, it, it could get to the point also, like if I'm on the computer doing good work, like there'll be times when I just can't handle it and I have to get up. Yeah. And I've reached the point where I literally one time spent actually just, just like a week or two ago, I did this. I was uh super like in the flow state on the computer. And then mm-hmm. I just found myself getting up and I did laps around my freaking couch. Yeah. I just did laps. And, yeah, then, and then like I kind of got tired and then I realized I was like, Oh shit. Like I, I need to go back to work. <laughs> Um, but that is actually interesting because that does, uh, I'm not entirely sure what the literature says about it, but I believe it does enhance flow states, uh, to an extent to regularly, uh, move a little bit. So, uh, think about it. If well, move, I'm just, oh, your blood moves around and your heartbeat goes up a little bit again. Uh, so your brain gets some fresh oxygen, uh, stuff like that, uh, which might help you get into flow state more or get into flow state again. Yeah, that that makes sense. I'm. It's just weird because, like, I go back to how I was explaining it before. It's like to me, I feel like there's a two different types of flow states, and like you said, it's not just one thing. Yeah, it's like a whole crossing from one into the other though causes you to do that. I don't know. Then again, I feel like a lot of euphoria has to do with it too, mm-hmm. because I find that if you're in the flow state, um, it's not uncommon. Well, in my experience, it's not uncommon to also experience euphoria. Yeah. Because 
you'll, you'll just be happy for no reason. I'll oh, be yeah. like, yay, my, we got five likes. Yeah. But that's the thing. Flow state is very euphoric. Um, like it's, um, uh, it kind of falls in the category of what uh, Abraham Maslow called peak experiences. So you know the guy of the hierarchy of needs, like the whole little pyramid with Wi-Fi at the bottom and then self-actualization on top. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, basically what Maslow describes is, that, you know, on the bottom you have uh, basic necessities for life, like food or a roof over your head, etc. Um, and then the more and more of these conditions are met, the more one can focus or the easier it becomes to its next part. Um, so all the way in the top is uh, something like self-actualization. And shortly before his death, um, Maslow said, well, there's actually kind of little, um, uh, uh, extra little uh, triangle in that pyramid all the way at the top, which we call peak experience. So they do have to do with mm-hmm. self-actualization, um, but they're not quite the same. Um, so a peak experience is just um, a fantastic experience in your life that just uh, that's at times even experience is life changing, um, and it's very euphoric. So um, that's kind of what flow is uh, an example of a peak experience. And in flow, uh, after your norepinephrine, which is the stress one, you get dopamine, you get anandamine, uh, you get uh, several endorphins. Um, which are all very strong uh, reward and learning hormones. Um, so, yeah, it, it does feel really good to be in flow, um, which is also, uh, which I find kind of cool, is why um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the guy that did most of the research into flow, um, he called it an autotelic experience. So a, uh, a self-teaching or self-rewarding activity. I can see that, yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, did you have any other questions on flow? Um, it's kind of weird. It's like, I wish I was over there so I could describe it to you. I'm like a very in-person kind of person, you know? I don't know. But uh, then again, I'd probably just be all awkward. It takes me like two weeks to get to know somebody. And then I'm like, all right, I'll be, I'll be my normal self. <laughs> but uh, No worries. But yeah. Um, nah, dude. Those were all of my flow. Those were all of my flow questions per se. Like it's, 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 it's interesting because like, I feel like it's something that I do quite often. It's like, I just have this process to like get into flow for certain things. I know I'm going to need to do this uh, crazy amount of work on the computer. So I start by brushing my teeth in the middle of the day because I I know I'm going to feel fresh and that's going to make me want to start doing it. Or I know that, at the gym, I have to get to 143 beats per minute minimum in order okay. to be warm enough to where my body is prepared to perform movements. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Um, um, like yeah, my uh, brain, like I have a whole bunch of shit that goes on in my brain, <laughs> like everyone. Do. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, I just find it. I just find it very fascinating. You know. Yeah. Same for me. Um, I find. So is I, that uh, is that. Oh yeah, go ahead. Is that like um, what you're studying? Like what you're going to school to get a job for? Like in flow? Um, like how does that work? Not quite. Uh, 
but so much. Flow is the subject of my thesis, um, but I'm in school um, in a study that's called uh, Sports and Movement Education Adventure. Uh, so it focuses on outdoor sports, uh, like your kayaking, rock climbing, mountain biking, whatever. Like G exercise science. Yeah, yeah, but um, it's less uh, focused on the actual exercise and more focused on how can we create a value for our participants. That's kind of the core principle of uh, the whole um, education, of the whole thing. Um, so uh, the thinking is um, uh, basically what you want in your uh, outdoor sports company is to offer your customers a peak experience. Like you want them to have the best, <laughs> absolute oh, best yeah. possible experience that they can possibly have. Um, so how are we gonna uh, reach that? What are we gonna? What can we do to uh, to give them that? Um, so then uh, it kind of starts building out. Like the the first year was just kind of uh, general uh, exercise science or something like that. Like it was not. Uh, specifically outdoor stuff yet, but just kind of, you know, how do you uh, instruct a group? How do you uh, organize a proper warm-up? Stuff like that. Um, and then the second year was focused a bit more on um, some project management and some um, giving instructions uh, to people. And third year was a bit more like, hey, you know what? We're actually going to go to a company near here um, and they are going to tell us that they have a particular target audience in mind um, and they want us to uh, come up with a product for this target audience. Uh, so we're going to you know, go to this audience and check what they uh, value very much um, and how we can make a product that fits for them. And then in the last year, um, uh, you do two or three things. There's your internship, your last internship, um, which goes paired with uh, assignments that you make in, um, uh, what's the word in English? Um, not in consideration. <laughs> I, do that all the time. I do that all the time. Inspiration, <laughs> sorry, what? Ah, fucking hell, man. Um, in, in, in talks, I guess, with uh, the workplace that you're interning at, um, and then there's your thesis, and then there's um, uh, an advice advisory report that you make for a business. Um, so the advisory report, in this case, tackled three things, uh, some risk management, some uh, some environmental stuff, and some interpersonal communication stuff. Um, and from that end, you're going to look a little bit less about what the customer wants, but a bit more uh, towards how can we further professionalize this uh, business um, mm -hmm. and then um, my well with your thesis uh, you're first put in different um, theme groups I guess um, so uh, I'm in a theme group of value creation uh, but you might also get into um, uh, sports improvement or, or um, uh, prestation improvement um, but for me again it starts looking like hey you know what what can a company do to create as much possible value in their offerings for their customer? Um, 
you're essentially you're you're trying to make this experience profitable for the company, but make it also a good experience. Yes, yes, kind of. Um, and the idea is um, that I mean, if you're a any even a nearly a somewhat half decent uh, company, like you already offer an enjoyable experience that is also profit. Um, because I mean, people come there for their fun, uh, for their free time. Uh, so you better yeah. come up with some good. That's shit. The, that's that's not the case in the U.S. That's why that sounds foreign to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, I'm, I'm just saying that in the U.S., a lot of like sports companies or places, like for example, let's say Bogus Basin Ski Resort, which is the ski resort right above Boise. Yeah. I mean, they do, they do, they do try. Like they, they, they have artificial snow machines and stuff like that. But it's, yeah. I mean, it's gotten to the point where I don't go up there because, eh, meh, it's not for the money I'm paying. It's not a decent experience. Yeah, but that's interesting um, because now the question is, uh, is it profitable for them? So, that's the thing. I uh, don't know. <laughs> that's that, that's, that's up for debate. It, it's, if it's not it's, profitable it's for them, they're, they're shut down sooner or later. Um, but anyway, the idea is that um, basically uh, I took a bit of a weird trip in my particular or in my personal thesis uh, because I went straight to flow state. Um, but uh, a lot of people are, uh, they get more involved in um, co-creation. Um, just taking a sip of my Co-creation. Co-creation. Um, so what they mean by that is um, imagine uh, a graph, y-axis, x-axis, um, and on the y-axis you have the amount of uh, decision-making done by the uh, company offering the product. And on the x-axis you have the um, amount of decision-making that is done by the customer uh, that is demanding the product. So what you'll find, and your ski resort is a good example of this, is a lot of companies are still completely in staging, um, which is all the way on the left, uh, like all the way left up in the axis or on the graph. So the company um, makes basically all of the decisions about um, the the product that they offer, um, and either people buy it or they don't, right? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, what you do in co-creation is... Uh, that you uh, you kind of go to your customers and you ask them um, what is it that you want that you are looking for um, what do you value in this company uh, or in this product and then they will tell you something um, and then um, basically what you do is you give the customer more control about what the product is going to be like um, great example of this is uh, for example um, a, a skiing course. Um, so you have your instructor and your instructor can say, okay, kids, today we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and by the end of the day, uh, you will uh, hopefully have reached those goals. Well, that's full staging because there's no, um, there's no consideration really about what you are here for. Like the yeah, idea there's, no, there's no option for, to say... I just want to learn how to curve in the snow. Exactly. So what happens in a more co-created environment uh, is that your instructor sits down with you beforehand and says, okay, what is it that you want to get into? 
what are your goals? Um, and that can vary from I just want to have fun to I want to curve in the snow to I want to do backlash, whatever. doesn't really matter. And then your instructor says, aha, okay, well, let's work on that. Uh, and then he comes up with uh, a course um, on how to uh, teach you to do black flaps, for example. You know, so that's when you're already more in co-creation, um, and that is a thing that we're trying to apply on a more business-wide scale. Yeah, that can that that seems like it would be really useful. Sorry, slash side note. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I hear I hear you struggling to formulate your thoughts in English. Hashtag same. <laughs> like, I guess I guess I would consider that English is my first language and Spanish is my second. But okay, um, routinely, like I I know how you feel because sometimes like certain words just sound better or are better for yeah, how you yeah. want to say things <laughs> in in your native language, and you're yes, just like eh. exactly. There's, yeah. Like I do that all the time. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> I, I really, I just can't describe this in English. There's no good word for it. There's no word yeah, yeah. in English that I can't say without saying like a whole paragraph, you know. And yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> anyway, I could, I could tell you were like trying. <laughs> I know, and you did, <laughs> yeah, and you did, yes. and you did, <laughs> you did good. You did good. And not, not to put you down or <laughs> Thank anything, you. but. Thank you. But uh, but I I did recognize it and I was like, God damn. <sighs> yeah, Same. yeah, it's definitely a thing when you're uh, when you speak multiple languages fluently. Uh, it's at times like, um, like in a conversation like this, I'm not even translating from Dutch to English, but I'm just kind of thinking in English. But sometimes there's just a moment where I'm like, fuck, I don't have the word for this in English. Like it's I just kind of draw a blank. You know, or uh, sometimes you have just a pool of a whole bunch of things. I, I find that people that I know from Europe or Europeans in general are this way that they just know so many languages they pull from all of them. And like whenever yeah. I do that, it's kind of like, well, fuck. Is, is that how is is that how it is in Spanish or is that how it is in French? I can't remember. Uh, how how do I translate to, to English again? Um, yeah. Yeah, so, by the yeah. way, I could I commend you. Like, there are very few people internationally <laughs> that like make the effort to try to like launch a platform and like do everything in a foreign tongue. You know. Well, it helps uh, that I'm fluent in English to a point that is not uh, not an extra effort for me. Um, so, you know, it helps me reach a wider audience, uh, reach uh, a wider group of guests as well. Um, but thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, see, I'm not always bagging on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, dude. Um, it's just, there's just a problem with you and Trent. That's, um, we got to fix that. So. <laughs> uh, you know, would it be fixed if I just said I'm not taking sides? Uh, I can live with that. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll I'll do that because <sighs> awesome. I've um, decided I guess anyway. I like you enough. I'll stop <laughs> hashtagging team well, friend. <laughs> that is very good to hear. Um, but back to the point. Um this idea of co-creation and value creation um is kind of uh if you um or the idea beneath it especially if you want to apply it on a more uh, business-wide level, 
is that you don't just ask people for uh, surface level information. Um, so let's take the example of a ski course again. Um, so full staging would be, um, you know, we're going to do X, Y, and Z today, and that's how it's going to be. A bit more towards co-creation would be, uh, what do you want today? Do you want to do backflips? Okay, then we're going to do backflips. But the next step is, why do you want to do backflips? What is it about backflips that, um, that, that makes them cool to you? Why do you want to learn backflips specifically? And why don't you want to learn to car? I'm just saying something, right? Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, kind of like a white glove kind of service you're trying to provide here. You're trying to enhance not only the service level, but enhance marketability and profitability for the company. That's actually yeah, how exactly. the company I work for, that's how they do their business too. Um, oh, that's cool. I work for an internet service provider and yeah. they provide like, like random ass shit. They basically are sit down with the customer and like, hey, look, so you have five offices. They're all in random places. What mm -hmm. do you need for us to make it cheap, but also like for you to get all your stuff done? And so we could still make money. It's kind of like that only applied to the sports medicine field. Well, the, yeah. the, the rec, not only just recreational sports, but I guess um, outdoor activities in general or uh, physical yeah, activities, yeah. even not even just outdoor. Um, that's a good one. Um, so the idea is kind of, um, let's take a different example. You're going on a kayaking course. Um, and you're in talks with the instructor beforehand uh and he says to you so how do you want to um how do you want to, to organize this course do you want to just go full on like do you want to just kayak all day and just like eat a power bar somewhere on a on a little calmer piece of the river or do you want to say go full on in the morning and then in the afternoon sit down have lunch chill out uh, and in the evening, have some beers. And, um, okay, let's say in those talks, you find out like you want to take it easy, you want to have some lunch, but you also um, want to really go hard in on some stuff. Um, and you're like, okay, we can do that. But why do you want that? What is the benefit, I guess, for you of taking it in a particular way? And then at some point you say, well, um, because, uh, you know, I want to learn, but I also want to be comfortable. Okay, why do you want to be comfortable? So the trick is um, to search not only for service level um, wants or needs, but to search for a, a certain value that these people are looking for. Um, so um, someone well, that like, way they uh, can yeah like that way they can um, for example you can actually get them what they want instead of. Maybe they not. Maybe they don't know wh what they actually want or what they're there for. And so, you know, if they just get a service level package and say they go take the backflip course, when in reality they just wanted to know how to like be stable enough on landing something. And so they figured if they knew how to backflip, like they could land correctly. But really, you didn't have to learn how to backflip. You could just teach them how to like land jumps correctly or whatever. It's mm. kind of going towards that. Yeah, so you actually kind of, like actually like find of, out what they want to do or what they have issues with. Um, no, it's less. Um, you have to think less in terms of a specific, uh, a specific um, part or a specific. Fuck, 
I'm losing the word again. Uh, well, at least you have to think of less, less specifically a technical part of, say, a backflip, but more of a, an underlying value. Um, so um, let's say these people are like, you know, uh, why do I want to do backflips? Because I think backflips are fucking cool. Because if we're honest, backflips are fucking cool. Um, but uh, like, okay, so what's so cool about a backflip? Like, what is the, uh, the the value that you have attached to that idea of coolness of a backflip? Um, and then that's the the kind of underlying value um, that you want to reach or that you want to trigger in a sense. Um, because um, going back to the peak experiences thing, um, if you go on surface level, I want to learn backflips, and you say, okay, they might incidentally have big experience, but if you go uh, essentially to the deepest level, like to the the personal core values of these people, and you can offer them a product that fits those, um, then you have a guaranteed peak experience. Um, and then a guaranteed peak experience translates into more return visits uh, and more um, like in-person marketing uh for your business, which leads to more uh, money and also more reliable income. Okay, damn. I guess that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. So, um, so this is yeah. what you're going to school for, and this is your ultimate goal in life, essentially, right? Um. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Um. This uh, is it must be so nice to uh, just automatically know what you want to do. <laughs> it took me till today well till till just recently to figure that out so i commend you well thank you um i uh i was kind of lucky um because i had been into outdoor sports uh longer already um and when i got like when i was done with high school i just kind of didn't know what i wanted to do like i was broadly interested in a lot of things but nothing was really, um, well, I mean, I had a passion for rock climbing, but you can't really make a career out of rock climbing. Um, I mean, you can, but it's like, um, I mean, I was going to say hashtag debatable. Climbing. Yeah. I mean, it's debatable. I mean, there's people who've done it, but it's like making a career out of being a pro fighter or something, you know? Yeah. It's not, uh, well, it's I mean, very if, hard. It takes if, a lot if of you time. were a woman, if you were a woman with a big booty, and oh, you yeah. had pretty long hair and a ponytail and then did rock climbing in booty shorts and exactly. were a YouTuber, you could probably make it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, professional rock climbers, especially, they make most of their money from like sponsorships um, and they're still not rich. Like rock climbing is just not a sport that pays well uh, if you're very good at rock climbing. I mean, there's a lot, of course, plenty of money in the industry surrounding it, um, but that's a somewhat different matter. So uh, it was kind of from that passion for rock climbing um, and just kind of looking around. And at some point, my mom actually pointed out this particular study to me and she was like, hey, maybe this is something you would like. This is all like about outdoor sports and it's on the required uh, level of education. Uh, so, you know, give it a try. And I did. Um, and I mean, it was a rocky road until here. 
uh, <laughs> I wasn't always. <laughs> I, I had some doubts along the road uh, about my choice. Um, but the more I understand, uh, I guess, the, the, the concept of value creation, and the more I experience it, the more I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is really awesome. This is really I something I want to, uh, yeah, you know, make my life's work out of. Um, and while we're going, uh, this is also kind of what I'm, what, what my long-term goal is for now, um, is uh, that while I was in the States, uh, we visited this place called BOS, Boulder Outdoor Survival School in Utah. Um, and what they do is that they take people into the desert for like, anywhere between three and six weeks or something and it just Whoa. fucking survived um, Whoa. yeah and i will find it really cool to to uh well not only get a job there but to apply some of the knowledge uh, i have gained um there because as i understand it now it's purely just go out into the desert and survive dude um, if 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 you do that one i will definitely sign up for a class two um, Utah is not very far from us. It's like five hours to Salt Lake City from here. So <laughs> it's doable. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, uh, like surviving in the desert is a completely useless skill for like 99% of the world. I mean, I live in the middle of a fucking city. Uh, I tap a few keys on my phone and there's pizza at my door in like 20 fucking minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't need to learn how to cook. Uh, a little piece of meat that I caught uh, on some brush that I uh, uh, gathered together. So how awesome would it be if we could link this um, experience or this course of going into this and learning to survive to a more personal goal so that we help, we, we, um, we, we take stock of people's personal ambitions and goals before they come with us into the desert and are like, uh, I don't know, maybe they're afraid in a sense, you know, they're scared and are like, you know what, I want to become more uh, uh, secure in myself. Um, and we're like, okay, you know what, that is a thing that we can work on. Um, and I think that would be really cool. If you could add that dimension to it, um, then you'd have a really, really powerful experience. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Like, you made a lot of really good points there. It's like, why would I? <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, the, yeah, like, it's not like I'm going to be in the middle of Nevada. Well, I, I guess I could be for a random reason, but it's like, you know, not going to need to just survive. Like, you know, I may need to work on, like, oh, well, I'm really bad at interrupting people. I need to stop doing that. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. yeah or like, yeah. Or like maybe even do an anarchy retreat and you know be like, all right, yeah, well uh, this cool. is this is this is like why I believe in the nap or this is why the nap won't work or this is why I, I want to understand more readings of Rothbard or Max Stirner or Lysander Spooner or you know there's yeah. all sorts of stuff that that actually sounds like it would be really cool, but um, yeah, that would be really awesome. So when you come to Utah and you start your company or work for this company, uh, let me know. I'll definitely take it for a spin yeah, if yeah. I'm not a poor still by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm probably not going to to Utah specifically. I'm thinking 
there's probably companies like this in, I don't know, Colorado or something, Texas, something of some place that isn't um, overrun by Mormons uh, where an adult <laughs> can buy an adult beverage uh, without going to five different stores. <sighs> that is the one thing I hate about Utah night. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, Colorado is fucking cool too. Plus, you could smoke weed there, supposedly. That is true. Although I have found that. Uh... But there's there's a big liberty community in Texas, though. So, like, I know Mr. Sue lives down there, and I, a whole bunch of people live in Austin. Maddie Kay lives there, and uh, Car lives there. Car lives there, yeah. yeah. And there's a there's a there's a bunch of people that live down there, and so that's why I'm kind of like. I actually am considering moving to Texas, but I need to finish my career here first. We'll yeah, see. yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see. I still have some notes if you want to get into them. Um, sure. I, I do have uh, to go here in in the next like fifteen minutes, though. Okay. Um, well, maybe we'll just set up a little bit of a teaser, uh, and you'll have to come back on at some point. Um, you mentioned something in the chat about. Mount Shasta. Oh, 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 I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so what is that about? I I know nothing about this. So I was listening to the Gaslight Hour, which is uh, the show where Ted and Joe and Paz are like talk conspiracies. And in yeah. one of their episodes, they were discussing, they, they made like a quick little joke like, Huh. Hopefully they don't ever go to Mount Shasta. <laughs> and that's kind of why I thought about it again. Cause it's like, Oh shit. I know I've heard of that place before because, um, when I was in high school, my physics teacher, um, he had, he had just recently moved to the area. He was from yeah. Australia or whatever. And so he moved to the area because in Lava Hot Springs, Idaho, which is like, 50 minutes or it's like an hour outside of my hometown which is called Pocatello Um, like they have a local branch of what's called a a branch of a local cult Uh, sorry they have a branch a local branch of a cult called the I am activity it's like this whole weird religion type thing where they worship animals and they like are super vegans and stuff but they heavily yeah. praise science it's like a weird mix of scientology catholicism and um mormonism almost and oh. so and so it's like this culty thing and i want to look in deeper into it because that's what um ever since they said that on that podcast oh hopefully they don't go to mount shasta they said said something like that hopefully i don't they don't go to mount shasta <laughs> i'm like or stay away from mount shasta i think that's what they said stay away and so i thought okay. oh shit i forgot all about this cuz i was in high school and my professor moved moved there because he had originally moved to the United States to live in Mount Shasta. And then they said he had to live at the like local branch in Idaho. And like the only one was nearby where I grew up. And uh, my friend, he had a girlfriend that ended up being this professor's niece. And she was also part of the I am activity. And she's the one that told us straight up. She's like, Oh yeah, it's a cult. I can't ever talk to you about it again. And then like a few months later, we never saw her again. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
that is a great uh, teaser to end this episode with. Um, God damn. I, uh, you know what? Uh, what I want is uh, sometime in the near-ish future, uh, I want to do an episode with you and Paz, um, where we just go balls deep on uh, all kinds of spiritual, uh, um, uh, psychedelic, uh, um, not so much cryptid, uh, um, like conspiracies or ideas like possession, like Manchasta with fucking people disappearing, fucking Satan worship. Uh, I think it would be really cool if we could like tie in some uh, some, some rantings about psychedelics and, and other dimensions, um, some shit like that. How does that sound to you? That sounds great to me. Oh, All that right. thing, that reminds me of a book that is about the many worlds theory or the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind that. That's for another. That's for another time. We'll talk about that yeah, next time. No worries. I'll have to do some Perfect. research into some stuff as well. Um, thank you very much for coming on. I had a great time talking to you, dude. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. This was a blast, man. Yeah. Like I, I actually, I'm, I'm actually very happy with how this turned out. <laughs> I, I kind of, I was like, hmm. Is he going to convince me to leave Team Trent? I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I think it's safe to say team. it's safe to say I'm on, on neutral now. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, hey man, where can people find you? Um, so I can be found on Twitter. My handle is at Kronk, so A T Kronk, and uh, yeah, that's probably a good place to find me. Um, and I have like my website on there. I just sell you know, whiskey glasses and shit. But um, yeah, like just hit yeah, me up on, on Twitter. I love I love awkward DMing people. It's great. <laughs> it's good. Hey, um, thanks again for coming on. And as we say uh, in Bravo, how do what?